welcome to more to come pw comics world's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news i'm heidi mcdonald the editor and chief of the beat at comicsbeat.com and don't forget you can find us on facebook at some url or other that calvin knows and i don't <laughs> I'm Kate Fitzsimmons, I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. I'm Meg Lemke, I'm Publishers Weekly's graphic novels reviews editor, uh, and I'm glad to be here today subbing for Calvin Reed, who is out. And don't forget, you can find us on Twitter at, at pwcomicsworld, and you can find us on Spotify and other podcast platforms and you can also leave us a rating or a number, uh, comment or let us know how we're doing good because we love to hear from our listeners and I am recovering from a head cold so I apologize for my very stuffed up condition but yes Calvin is not here tonight so Meg welcome hi everybody this week on more to come webtoons come to print anime NYC report the Angoulême official selections are announced and more comics honors Comics page rates down, Silver Sprocket reveals numbers, and the briefs. So first, we have Webtoons coming to print. And so, Meg, you just completed this. Yeah, I uh, edited the feature package that is in print at PW, so if you have your subscription, pick up the actual magazine, or head over to publishersweekly.com. Um, it's a whole package with one main article and then two sidebars, and I edited it, but it was written by the fabulous Shannon Carity, who is a PW uh, reviewer and regular contributor, and we got to talk to Shannon about it. Hey, Shannon. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so Shannon just uh, wrote uh, the newly published feature on webtoons and web comics more generally coming into publication uh, as books in print. Yes. And it is a trend that everyone is aware of, but we really dug deep in this uh, feature piece. So, you know, what's the kind of overall like elevator pitch? What's the punchline that you got in the main? Wow. Okay. So I guess the, um, impetus for this, or at least a big part of the impetus, was the um, growing success of Webtoon and of similar platforms that are designed for, as, as basically big webcomics mega platforms, and they tend to be oriented towards reading comics on the phone as well as online, on, on a computer, so the um, format is usually like a long scroll. Um, so, like, this has been a big driving force in online comics in the last several years. And this impact is starting to move over into print as well as print publishers get interested in um, publishing print collections of the most popular uh, web comics. Uh, Webtoons itself has started its own um, web comics as, I mean, sorry, its own print comics in print Webtoon unscrolled. And a lot of other publishers are printing are publishing, really upping their webcomics content um, when they're moving things into print. So we, that was kind of the launching point. Um, it's kind of hard to cover the entirety of like webcomics going to print because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of webcomics out there. Right. And there's it's a, a lot of different area. trends. There's a lot of different trends in the, in the world of like comics going I, from online to print, but that was sort of where it started. And Shannon, I, I think one of the most interesting things you pointed out, though, is that this is nothing new, too. Mm -hmm. You know, like Smile was a webcomic. You know, yep. um, 
uh, Wimpy Kid was a webcomic. <laughs> so, uh, you know, almost all of the big hits started out as webcomics. So, yeah, this is absolutely no new trend, but but definitely it's kind of a little bit of a gold rush on the scrolling comics right, format exactly. right now. It's like they're kind of turnkey ready. And what I thought was really interesting is that we don't even have a kind of caveat that they're out there free, that they're still existing on the platform. Publishers are not concerned about that. Mm-hmm. If anything they're excited that they can have the data of what the click-through or the followers have been so far well, that they can argue for them. Well, I think, at least with the platforms, mm-hmm. part of, I think, what makes the barrier to entry for people reading it free online is that most of them have things where you can only read a certain number of installments free per day. Mm. So, yeah, you could read this whole book free over the course of a month or two months, but... If you pay for the book, you can read it all right now. Yeah, I think publishers are really banking also on the fans being connected enough to the characters and storylines that they want the book regardless. Like, that's their their expectation from the, ki- the kinds of fans that they're seeing for this material, where there's um, – I think you said in the article, Shana, that the term bingeable comes up often. <laughs> it does come up a lot. And I think um, one thing that um, several – a few different – editors and publishers mentioned was the idea that there are different levels of, you know, dedication to mm-hmm. web comics. So like, you know, they're the, there are people who read it online and a lot of people who read it online that are hardcore fans will want print collections. Uh, so the print collections are sometimes that, you know, to some degree, they're like a bonus for the fans who really like the stuff online, but then having the comic in print makes it more available to people who aren't reading a lot of web comics. Uh, so there's multiple tiers of how the print collections are going to be uh, feeding into the popularity of the comic. And that's a big reason that publishers really aren't concerned about, you know, people not like having the comic online. They don't want to have it. There's there's no as far as I know, we've like gotten rid of the idea that something needs to be exclusively online or exclusively on print, like the two different versions of the comic are feeding off each other. Yeah, which there used to be a lot of anxiety about, you know, in the early days of web comics to print. There was, I remember uh, people I would talk to um, about the idea of having their piece go into a book that they would be told by publishers to stop publishing updates, like hold material. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really shifted. Uh, which is yeah. just interesting, taking a like longer view of the trend. Yeah, there was definitely a, a trend in the past where you had to take it offline. Right. When it, when it went they want for... the opposite now. They want you. Yeah. To... Mm-hmm. And... The funny thing is that hasn't changed in web novels. Mm-hmm. Really? So a lot of uh, English language web novels are slowly being ported to things like Kindle Unlimited mm-hmm. or something um, for ease of reading and to get a wider audience and more money for the author. Uh, but Amazon is requiring that if it's in Kindle Unlimited, they need to pull the free version. Hmm. Yeah, well, so something that you mentioned up, you know, top here is that Webtoon Unscrolled is obviously a big force. They're related to the Korean based, South Korean based Webtoon platform company. But what's interesting and you get at very quickly in the piece is that because Webtoon gives the creators rights to their work, they're publishing with many different print publishers. Um, and you talked to several of them who are actually publishing, you know, like Webtoon official platforms, which is different than just what we now call Webtoons, colloquially the scrolling version of a webcomic, which might be on Tapas or other platforms. Yeah, Um, So who are some of the other people you talked to? Well, I mean, like one of the biggest 
comics on webtoons, at least on the English webtoons. Because again, as you mentioned, webtoons is a webtoon is a Korean based company, but it has separate. The platforms are different for each language. Well, it's all it's all, I think it's all Becca Cow. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, yeah. So like, different. but then the webtoon and webtoon unscrolled is where it's for the English editions of these comics. But mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, but like one of the biggest comics on the English webtoons is Lore Olympus by Rachel Smith. And that's not published by um, webtoon unscrolled. It's on over at uh, Delray and Penguin, Penguin Random House. And they have actually just like launched an entire new imprint that's sort of called Ink Lore, which is sort of like, it's sort of comics that are for people who like Lore Olympus. That's how big Lore Olympus is, is that uh, you can create things that are like Lore Olympus as an entire category. And you talked to Oni, we talked to um, Skybound, Mm -hmm. and... Who else? Uh, you really got everybody in there. I was really impressed. You got to talk to Bobby Chase, who works for Webtoon. It's mm-hmm. very rare for anyone at Webtoon to actually do an interview, so mm-hmm. kudos on that. Um, yeah, I mean, you talked to Oni, you talked to Skybound, you talked to Harper Collins, you talked to uh, Rebecca Tay-Taylor, the editor at uh, Inklore, which we've been talking about quite a bit on the podcast uh, over the past yeah. few months. So you you got all the players in there. Well, Congratulations. I don't know everybody. I don't know if I could ever, it's a really huge field. And uh, again, it's very diverse and diffuse. There are some that, there are some areas of like web comics that I really wasn't able to get into, but I did try to get like some of the webtoon and other publishers that are coming directly out of the web comics world. Also more traditional print publishers that are publishing more web comics these days. And also like smaller, uh, publishers that have a, um, like a web comics and crowdfunding based model, like Iron Circus and Skybound, which is because that's something that really interests me too. Is um, there are smaller and more, yeah, there's smaller publishers that are sort of coming came out of. Oh. Excuse me, just a moment. Yeah, there is a child in the background, which is funny because I was going to say we. Uh, I feel like we're, uh, you know, like skipping past it. We actually have a lot of young adult and middle grade content that's being discussed yeah. in this piece. And, you know, I want to point listeners back to publishersweekly.com um, mm-hmm. to read it in full. But, you know, a huge area of growth here is in the kids market, right? Like we're yeah. seeing, you talked to a couple of people like, one of my new favorite titles of all time, Dean Dagos. Yes. <laughs> I talked to, I had, started. Yeah. There were multiple like sort of, uh, D&D themed or tabletop role playing themed web comics. I also talked to Scott Kurtz, who has a new um, tabletop role playing themed graphic novel based on his current web comic. Uh, but yeah, that was that was, D&D Doggos is really cute. Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of the web comics. Webtoons is like Webtoons has a lot of um, YA oriented content, and a lot of the comics, uh, a lot of the platforms that are sort of using the same model are sort of mm-hmm. YA oriented, which makes sense. I mean, um, that's a big market and it's also, um, a lot of these are coming out of like a, um, Korean or Japanese comics model where a lot of the marketing is towards teenage or maybe junior high readers. So that's an, uh, an audience that creators are used to aiming towards that the companies are used to aiming towards. So yeah, and there's a lot of, there is a huge, obviously there's a huge appetite for like middle grade and YA graphic novels in print right now. And that means that there's a lot of uh, web comics that appeal to that, that are, that are pretty appealing to publishers right now. 
Yeah, we actually had to limit the sources because she didn't talk to so many people to make sure. Because <laughs> you can't just have all stack quotes. Um, <laughs> as soon as it hit uh, the the web itself, the article, I started getting emails from um, editors who felt like, you know, make sure they, that we talk to them next time because it's such a growth area. Good. Well, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. There's so many other area, areas to talk about. And, you know, I did notice one thing you did not talk about really. There's not a lot of numbers in mm-hmm. the article, just in terms of which are quite transparent on Webtoon and Tapas and the other major platforms. They, they usually have readership numbers. So you didn't really get into that. And also, <laughs> Shana, did you get any sense though of the very mysterious business model mm-hmm. that you know, that, that always seems to people ask, well, you know, how do creators get paid on here? And then there's sort of like a something and then it's like the men in black. There's a flash of light and then you move on and nobody remembers what was said. So did you get any insights into that it's mystery? As far as like creators, as like in terms of like how creators, how well creators get paid on sites like Webtoons? Yes. Yeah, no, I didn't because that wasn't within the scope of my article. It was very much focused on print editions. And fortunately, right. I mean, fortunately, like a lot of the companies are, you know, public, traditional publishers rather than like book publishers rather than comics publishers and have pretty and the deals seem to be pretty standard book deals. But um, the question of how payouts go on like webcomics mega sites like webtoons is a big issue. It's not something I was able to get into here, but I hope other people talk about it because there's, I, I, I think it's an extremely difficult area to make money in and um, for creators. And um, I talked to um, one of my little side, my side um, articles was on Tracy, but I talked to Tracy Butler who um, has been doing web comics for a very long time. She does a comic called Lackadaisy that's recently had a big upsurge in popularity. And she talked a little bit about how she's concerns that she has that creators are, you know, potentially getting screwed over in the current web comics boom. Cause there's a lot of rush to create and a lot of rush to publish. And that's a, situation where it's very easy for young creators to get exploited and these are mostly young creators there's a lot of very young um very talented people coming into like webtoons and other webcomic sites so like i couldn't get into it in the article because i'm very much about just so this was just about print publishing but that is a big that's a big question you're right you know you know, Shannon, so next year, that'll be the focus, and no one will want to talk to you. No, that's correct. None of the publishers. Nope, that is correct. That's the thing. Nobody does. Yeah, this was a, this was a book-focused, uh, like, what's coming into print. We're doing title focus on the piece. But as you yeah. mentioned, we have a sidebar with Tracy Butler, and we mm-hmm. do have a number there, which is that they crowdfunded $2 million for the series. Oh, yeah. And well, crowd, crowdfunding numbers are very transparent. You can just go to the site and look. And that's a really – that the Tracy Butler situation is really interesting. Um, she's been doing – like full disclosure, I'm like an old web cartoonist. I, I was, I was, I've been doing web comics myself since 2000, and Tracy Butler's been around for about that long. So I've kind of like, I think it's the first time we've actually talked, but I've definitely been aware of her work for a long time. She's, she's very, very good, and she's. No, you were perfect for this piece because you've been in the world. I have, and I know all of the old school success stories. I was on like, you know, I was on the old Modern Tales web comic sites in the 2000s, which was where. Raina Telgemeier's Smile launched on online and where Jean Yang's American Born Chinese launched as a webcomic. But um, Tracy is, um, she's been doing this 
comic lackadaisy for many years. It's really gorgeous. Like it's beautifully drawn and really cool. And it's always had a pretty, it's always had a big following. It's always been a very well loved comic, but, um, she recently moved her print publishing to Iron Circus, which does its funding for projects through crowdfunding. Iron Circus doesn't do just web comics, but it does typically crowdfund its, um, all of its publications. Um, and the crowdfunding for Lackadaisy was huge. And part of the reason for that was that they're also doing an animated series that they're, they're funding as well as new additions to the books. But like moving web, like the move to Iron Circus and the move to like really focusing on crowdfunding for the books was like huge for, for Tracy. She said like, this is like a complete like, like change of like her entire <laughs> career. So it's, it's exciting to see that. It's exciting to see some of the creators do, um, very well on this side and to have, um, the new model, the new models for publishing web comics working out for people. Yeah, it's a great interview. She talks about when she started the uh, web comics machine as the illegitimate arm of comics. <laughs> yes, it was. When I talked to Scott Kurtz, he mentioned the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember writing one of the first web comics articles for PW, you know, 20 years ago. And it absolutely, that was the whole thing. Well, are they comics? You know, and I, right. I, I talked to Scott Kurtz. Yeah. Then, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I talked to you, Shannon, but, uh, well, I'm not saying now. Yeah. And um, it was the same. It was a little bit of the, how times have changed. <laughs> um, but to your point, Heidi, you know, we tried to get Webtoon to give us not just sell in numbers, but sell through and they just flat refused. So it is, there is a certain tight lipness. You, tr- you tried for the, or you tried to get We got through? Webtoon and Squirrel to give us the sell in numbers for their first launch titles, but they wouldn't give us a sell through title. Numbers. I'm a book scan for that. I know, but we, this is, that was, we could always update it, but this is what we, we got from them to, for the lead. Yeah. And, and actually, um, the reader numbers for a lot of these comics are, are actually not necessarily super transparent because they will be going through a number of different platforms frequently. Mm-hmm. And also it, it just sort of has number of impressions. It doesn't necessarily say if they're different people. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so is there anything that you wish you could have gotten into that we didn't get into as much? Actually, the thing that I love, and we got into it a little bit, but we could have done it a whole article on it, was the difficulty of translation from vertical scroll to print box. And that it's been varied you know the success and i actually see that a lot on the review side so shannon is also a pw reviewer um and i see a number of our reviewers who are looking at these titles when they come into print who bring up translation issues just like someone might when they're looking at a work published in another language and they say this translation is a little rough you know we're hearing people say you know this this doesn't make sense the sequencing doesn't make sense on the page in a particular book Mm -hmm. um so is there was there more that came up around that there was a lot like one of the standard questions that I asked editors and publishers when I talked to them was, was are there special challenges to bringing web comics to print and like every single per I think every single person I talked to on like the editing and publishing side said that like moving a like translating the format is a problem especially since um webtoons uses a vertical scroll for like all of its comics and um, a lot of the sites that are using a similar model to webtoons also require a vertical scroll. And that's great for reading on a phone or a tablet. It then becomes a problem if you're doing a print collection. 
And that is, that is definitely something that, um, like every single editor and publishing person I talk to is like, yeah, this is, this is a big challenge. They're just figuring out how to do it. I mean, these books coming out are, are test cases for like how to do an entirely new art of how to recreate an experience in a print version. Yeah. On the other hand, there are also web comics that are in like, you know, all the web comics that are not on the webtoons and webtoons type sites have completely other formats and a lot of them right. are formatted more like traditional comics pages or, or strips. There's some other, um, yeah, there's some really interesting examples that they talk to comics that are like, for example, run on Instagram and that's some of the, some of those are, tra- some of those are done in a way that's translatable to print. So, mm-hmm. you know. um, yeah. Okay. Well, we want to point all the listeners to the article online. There's also another sidebar about romanticy books. Um, and then I'm hoping we can talk to you again soon, Shannon, because I'm oh, hoping sure. you'll do some more features for us. We can yeah, talk, I'll talk back. <laughs> all right. Great talking to you, Shannon. Thank oh, you. So much. I wanted okay. to thank you for calling in. Oh, thank you. It's always great to talk to Shannon, isn't it? I love Shannon. I love her too. She's absolutely one of the most delightful people. Yeah, incredible force. The PW's yeah. reviews team go critics. So yeah, webtoons are really huge. You know, one thing I keep saying though. I mean, we mentioned Laura Olympus, and um, I, I, I probably have said this in the podcast before, so I apologize, and I probably have said it to you too in person before too. But you know, twenty years ago. I feel like Bone was this surprise, out-of-the-blue hit mm. for kids' comics. And now kids' comics are obviously the biggest thing. And I feel like Laura Olympus is kind of like the the first big webtoon to print hit. And we'll see where it goes from here. A lot of people are chasing that high. Yeah. <laughs> so, article of reveals. Absolutely. So, well, speaking of the other hottest category in comics, manga, uh, we just got through with Anime NYC. It's probably where I picked up this cold, to be honest. So we just held Anime NYC, and they actually announced quite a few webtoons going to print. So Eyes Press, which we mentioned, and okay, to be fair, we were unfair to it earlier. Uh, it is a new imprint of Yen Press. At that time, all we had heard about was their idol-based comics with Hive, but it turns out that they're also going to be bringing out some manhwa and webtoons from Korea. And there are some pretty big titles in there. Um, one of them is Omniscient Reader's Viewpoint. So that's, that's that is one that I pointed out about a year ago here on the podcast, if, you know. And I've been following since then. It's like one of the biggest titles on Tapas. And it is, wait, one of the biggest titles on Webtoon. And it is now coming to this imprint. Um, it's, it was a huge, huge, uh, web novel hit that then transitioned into a, a really big web comic. And, um, the artist, uh, Sleepy C, came to Anime NYC to announce. So that's huge because you just don't see a lot of the Korean creators coming over here. It was a surprise appearance. Yep. Um, the villainess is a marionette. Um, that is another big hit title, um, by Hanarim and Mengele. Um, 
Marriage of Convenience from Ant Studio and Han Huan. Um, just titles that if you were on the apps, you're seeing a lot. Um, something aimed a little more at uh, the male market, the shonen market, SSS class Revival Hunter uh, by Bill K. and Nida. And so these are a lot of titles coming out of Korea, although it can be hard to tell sometimes on the apps as uh, international art styles blur. And it is, unlike in regular comics or regular novels, um, webtoons and web novels have a tradition of people using obvious pseudonyms that don't really right. have any actual obvious nationality to them. For example, hmm. the author of Omniscient Reader's Viewpoint is... Sing Shang. Um, obviously not her real name. Um, My Secretly Hot Husband is also coming out. That's a big one. <laughs> These titles are irresistible. Absolutely. So, my, my Secretly Hot Husband can basically be described as, uh, what if Beauty and the Beast was just, uh, socially awkward and wearing a mask as mm. opposed to cursed? <laughs> And so, you know, these are, these are big names. Oh, and Beware the Villainous. My personal favorite, Beware the Villainous. <laughs> I love these titles. Yeah, really leave, good. leave it to Yen Press. They, they you know, they I got the good ones. You know, I'm shocked that James Tiny and the Fourth is the only U.S. creator who's caught on to the fact that these long titles are what sells these days. Maybe someday Marvel and DC will catch on in general. But, well, I yeah. mean, I, I will say that, um, Certainly a lot of American novels that are coming out of the American web novel scene are having these long and or uh, strangely catchy titles such as Beware the Chicken, <laughs> which is currently on volume three and one of my personal favorites. Or, you know, Cat Times Gamer. I mean, it's got all the magic words in it. Well, speaking of all this, Anime NYC was held. Uh, this is where those announcements that Kate just covered were announced. And this was three days. They actually announced that next year they are moving to August and will be taking over the entire Javits Center. Mm -hmm. So Anime NYC is getting even bigger. And uh, I was able to go. I was there for a couple days. And Calvin went all three days. And he had some thoughts, which he, he, he talked to you about them. Right, Kate? Uh, right, Meg? Yes, Meg. I have notes from Calvin. Um, he said there were a lot of big booths from Viz Media, Yen Press, new manga imprints like Alien Books, Valiant. They were handing out samplers. Um, one thing that struck me is Drunk Quarterly came. That was a bit of a shocker because they have been uh, eschewing all the other shows, like they don't go to San Diego anymore. They don't go to, um, they don't go to SBX, SBX anymore. Yeah. They don't go to Mocha anymore. The only one. No, they don't even do Mocha anymore. I would have thought Mocha was still their scene. No. I mean, SBX was the one that they, they were doing bank at, but they stopped going. But, and yet they showed up at Anime NYC. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I stopped by and talked, um, so I think it was kind of an exploratory, right. exploratory, mm -hmm. um, um, venture for them. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, they do great manga. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it actually makes sense. Now that said, uh, I walked through Artist Alley. Well, okay. Two things. First off, last year at Anime NYC, um, they had the big giant Luffy balloon that had been up at New York Comic Con and it was very impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of like another very impressive, um, event. 
And this year there was no giant Luffy. They didn't keep the balloons over from New York Comic Con, mm. which had just been held like literally like a month ahead before to Anime NYC. So it was a little less spectacular. Like Toei Animation wasn't there. There was some of the bigger exhibitors did not come there. It was much more of a fan show. I felt like there was a lot of business getting done in the whole webtoon and, and Asian to the US market mm-hmm. at um at uh New York Comic Con. But that said there was it was a full house. It was sold out. You know, people were asking me on Thursday, can you get me a badge? Which I, people, I can't get you a badge. But everyone's <laughs> Stop just Stop like, asking just, Heidi for a badge. They just like to ask me for a badge. But, uh, I was like, oh, it's sold. I was like, well, go buy a badge. I was like, oh, it's all sold out all three days. Oh, well, uh, too bad. Too bad. Plan Cap- ahead. Comes like Kin and Kinea bookstores on the floor and quote, ridiculously mobbed. On it Friday was very busy. So my one other observation, was that uh, I went all the way through Artist Alley. And Artist Alley, I would have to say, was 75% pins and prints mm. and objects. There was not a lot of, you know, doujinshi or print stuff that I saw, but then other people told me that maybe there was some stuff that I wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I will say that with an anime-based show, um, a lot of American artists and creators, even though they may love it, even though their art may be heavily influenced by it, may feel like this is not their place to be actually like putting out a book and being like, no, it's totally manga. Right. Um, right. It's true. But also, Dujinshi tends to be in the United States kind of an under the table thing, literally. Oh, so literally maybe you had to go and ask. Yeah. People will put on their Instagrams like, oh, by the way, <laughs> uh, I will be publishing my zine. Um, mm. You can ask, or they'll like have a little note being like, and if you're interested in my blah, blah, blah zine. Um, but yeah, that's um, in Japan. Dujinshi is completely fine with the publishers of, of manga and anime, as long as you keep it on the fan market right. um, in the United States. Once you start, printing and selling your fan comics american publishers don't necessarily love that especially if you're selling it at a major convention yeah so these things kind of creep under the table although has it ever has anything ever really been shut down um people want to keep doors open and not offend the publishers because they'd like to have a career in comics in the future yeah but i I mean i'm asking though has, has anybody ever done it and gotten shut down because i feel like there was some star wars stuff that was done yeah they did actually actually there was some marvel book um i i mean i'm just talking about back in the day and you know there was some tut tutting i'd say i i think it's it's partly frankly people get kicked out of comic cons for it like it's not necessarily that you'll get sued as that like the cons, like, no, the publishers don't want you doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't want to lose their booth or annoy the publisher, right. so under the table it goes. Well, uh, regardless of that, I saw a lot of prints, a lot of oh, fan yeah. art. Because yeah. because that is acceptable right. in the United States. Right. It, right. It's all about your market. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, if you are an anime – but also, I mean, even if you're writing original stuff, if you're an anime-influenced writer or creator – who is not born and raised in Japan, typically you feel a little awkward putting out your original stuff at an anime convention. Whereas, like, art, well, whatever. 
So, it, yeah, I, I mean, I, it was interesting to me that there, I, it, it was, it was a very, um, anime and, you know, as these shows are, it's like a flea market. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of really cool stuff for sale. There were a lot of experiences there. The, like some, quite a few of the experiences mm-hmm. from New York Comic Con did make the jump, like the, the dome. I think it was a jujitsu kaijin. Oh, it's pardon me. It's a demon slayer dome. Um, and listen, it was a very vibrant show. Uh, super engaged, super young. Uh, just like New York Comic Con, which is essentially an anime show now. And, uh, you know, if I was a U.S. publisher, I'd just be looking at being like, uh-oh, how do we, what the, what are we going to do? Huh. You know, um, Calvin said that he saw that the Marines, Army, and the FBI had recruiting booths. Yes, that's... Speaking the- of it being a young show. Absolutely. And um, it's funny that, I mean, I didn't see a huge social media outcry about mm-hmm. that like I do sometimes. So, Well, I think you need to know your audience. And yeah. I think... Let's put it this way. There's a very shonen manga type of older teenage boy Mm -hmm. who would definitely like to be recruited. Um, And they know their audience. It's a different subgroup of fans. There was definitely some boys lined up at the Marines booth to do pull-ups. So um, you were not wrong. As a a side note, um, the site Beautiful Data just did a long form article about uh, government comics, you know, the government Mm. using comics, which I think we're going to link in a... Oh, well. (laughs) Not not today, but in a forthcoming fanatic. It's interesting. Uh, Um, Well, uh, moving on to traditional comics, uh, Angoulême Festival made their official selections official. What was it you called? Well, that Meg, the French, the French Atomic Awards. Awards. Yeah. The, or the yeah. FOVs. They're also called the FOVs. The, the, the actual name. Yeah. They're a fabulous, you know, organization who really, I mean, the French really care about comics and give them incredible respect. Uh, and the, um, award selections are really interesting because these are the, a lot of their awards, you know, the, this is from the beat are, uh, originally North American titles translated into French. This is what we were, you know, noting here. So like the graphic novels included, you know, translation from the English market had a solid appearance in the lists, right? So Julia Wirtz's Impossible People translated into French was picked up. Um Nick Dernasso's acting class. So a lot of these are going to be uh like off, you know, the timeline of when they originally published here, even mm-hmm. those are the twenty twenty four awards because this is based on when they're being translated into French, like in that year's market. So uh Blood of the Virgin, so these were kind of closer to it, but then some of the older titles are coming out. I thought it was really notable, for example, that Charles Burns um Daedalus has not come into English yet and it's it's first being published in French. Oh wow. And so it's already won an award on Glam. Um and similarly actually a a smaller book on this list, um John Vasquez Mejia's woodcut comic, The Puerto Rican War, uh, is coming out in the spring. I know this from having seen the spring previews, and I really love his work, and so I'm really interested to see that the French have picked up on the beauty of his work. He's a, he's an indie cartoonist. I would see at shows for years. We have a picture book he did that my kids really oh, love, yeah. and he's just a really, really interesting, um, he does this really interesting, beautiful woodcut comic. So I actually want to kind of call attention to that, that that's actually going to come into the English market secondarily to the French market also. Um, Josh Pettinger's small press con- anthology series. Um, then a lot of manga got picked up. You know, there's, you know, Heidi has a long 
article on this that everyone should that was spend our, some our, time with. Our, our beat contributor, Dean Simons, wrote it, and he took about a week. I was like, Dean, can't you just do an article on the, the listing the the nominees? And he took about a week and really, really dug deep. Yeah, on it's it, a deep so. dive. I'm not going to yeah. read, read out yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, he did a deep dive, but you know, um, kudos but you, to Dean. He, you he, were mentioning some notable absences. Well, we were, Dean and I were both noting that Ducks didn't get nominated, and by Kate B. didn't, which was published in late 22, here in the United States late last right. year and was absolutely the graphic novel of the year and swept all the awards this year. I believe it won the Harvey, the Eisner, the Ignatz. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever awards you could sweep, Duck swept. And um, so, yeah, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, maybe it lost something in translation. I Or it didn't come out. I mean, whatever. We'll figure it out. I mean, maybe there's I, – I would hope so. I mean, I just think it's a classic. It's long, so maybe it hasn't been fully – I mean, we – can we figure out? Someone write in and tell us. Has yeah. it been released in France yet? Give us the poop out there, la poupée. Uh, because I mean, part of the reason we lead in this article, to my, I mean, to correct me if I'm wrong, Heidi, is it's being led here with the books that were in English translated to French because the books that are in French haven't necessarily been translated to English yet. <laughs> I mean, like yes. we haven't heard of them well, yet. Well, they hardly ever come. We over hear here. of them now. As, as if you think winning an Eisner doesn't sell any copies, I got to tell you, in the United States, winning the Fave d'Or, which is the top prize in these in these. Uh, in these awards, uh, the okay, golden I cat. disagree. What we the golden cat? Yes, the golden cat. Yes. We definitely. I mean, they definitely influence. I think acquisitions to some extent, though, because it's some kind of filter for the vast number of licenses available coming yes, out of the French market. That's true. And we mention it in reviews. Like at this point, Angoulême awards are as as noted as often as oh, well, I, Eisner's. I, I think it's becoming a lot more. Um, it's becoming a lot more. Um, yeah, noted. noted it's similar to the film yeah. market, you know, where yeah. you're going to talk about like the cans yeah. or something and yeah. people are still going to be more likely to distribute it. Absolutely. Whether it becomes a bestseller is an yeah. open question. I mean, I think there were some books like Riyadh Satouf's, you know, The Arab of the Future. I think that. Yeah. Did, and Riyadh did one of these posters. You could, yeah. I mean, 100% that's his work. Yeah. On the left there with the, you know, girl opening the um so looking girl. we've also had quite a few it's that time of the year when the best of lists are coming out mm-hmm. and um the top 10 books from uh both washington post and new york times came out did not include graphic novels they often don't um a little disappointing the oh, top 100 on yeah. new york times had two graphic novels oh but they didn't do us any favors <laughs> two whole novels yeah, i'd have to that would be two percent oh. all right um but i will mention what they are you know everyone wants to scroll the new york times list um dan Klaus, monica and then the one that um was a surprise I mean, in a good way is uh guess in the house by emily carroll also oh, made well. the top 100 I mean, emily is absolutely top-notch top play you know i think monica came out towards the end of the year mm-hmm. and i i mean it, you know it got all the profiles it's getting tons it got all the of profiles press in the right and it got tons yeah. of press and definitely very good reviews i mean it got mm-hmm. glowing reviews but i don't i don't know i i i think maybe it just came out so late in the year that it didn't get quite the momentum I don't know. I mean, it made our top five. It made, yeah. it's got the top hundred on New York Times. I think yeah. it's definitely, okay. I think it's landing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's I, an interesting question. I, I think it's kind of, it's landing with experts, but I think it's slowly building upward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. As far as like the general reading public, it'll probably end up under some trees and people will start talking about it in January. It would be yeah. my bet. It's disappointing about the New Yorker not listing any graphic novels, but yeah, especially because, because I really think the Dan Klaus is really good. I, I love that book. 
And also, the New Yorker runs cartoons. <laughs> Come on. Don't be know. snobs. Loosen up. Um, well. <laughs> uh, well, this is just the start of um, many conversations to come about the best books of the year. Uh, well, it's a good thing that there are lists to sell books because uh, you're making less money than ever if you're mm. actually making comics. Uh, there was quite a bit. You know, there's a couple of discussions that we just talk about here all over and over again. They go in cycles. And one of them is how page rates have not kept pace with inflation and um, are the same as they were when I was editing comics like in 2006 well, and also in 1999. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually would say that that's actually a sub facet of a discussion we hear more often, which is like, oh, people don't get enough money. But like page rates, this really, the article that we're speaking from actually really went into, you know, more detail and actual numbers than usually come up in these sort of vague, like, mm, look at the wallet kind of discussions. Right. Uh, are you talking about the article that I wrote on the beat? Yes, I am. Oh, thank you for the comment. I am praising your article. <laughs> that was very kind of you. I mean, I just tried to get, I mean, there was a lot of talk, so I just quoted a lot of talk. But what sparked the talk was a, a social media post on all platforms, uh, widespread by Bon Alamagno, who used to be the editor-in-chief at Harris Comics back in the aughts. And also worked at Marvel for quite a while. And, uh, it just, in, in 2009, as editor in chief of Harris Comics, I paid out the following quote, starter rates, unquote, minimum per page rates for comic book writers and artists. New to my company. Even after subsequent experience at Marvel and other publishers, these rates continue to serve as my baseline for what talent should be paid at minimum. I'll just give a very obvious example. It says writing the, the starter rate it's $110 per page in 2009, 14 years ago. And I mean, I can tell you that like $90 per page, $100 per page is what the rate was when I was editing comics at DC mm. and is still the average rate. Like, like the comments after he posted this was from so many comics professionals. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was had writing, it had art, it had colors, letters, everything just saying, wow, I wish I made that today in 2023. And um, it's kind of incredible. It's just incredible. Uh, I pointed out the scripting rate using inflation, $110 in 2009 would be $160 today in yeah. 2023. So they are not keeping pace with inflation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Marvel has cut their rates. So um, it's troubling. Yeah, and one thing that you highlighted that I didn't even know existed, a great resource, is Creator Resources mm -hmm. has, having a, a rates database that you can search for by publisher mm -hmm. in order to make it a little more transparent where you get paid what. I would also like to, this is a real um, left fielder, but there is just this week, and maybe, I don't know if either of you even know about this, but just in the last couple of weeks, an, uh, a group called Comics Advocacy Group mm. launched. Do you know anything about them, Meg? No. So I know that Kiara Valdez, a first second, um, uh, Savannah Sutio, formerly of Scholastic, um, some other folks are behind it. It's hmm. a nonprofit. It's a 501c. Uh, they are starting with mini grants. They are giving $500 to 30 awardees. So hmm. added up, they, they got a little bit of seed money there. And, um, only in North America, but it's kind of all I know right now that there are organization, I mean, comics advocacy group sounds, 
sounds pretty clear what that's about and some really great people behind it. So um, we'll see what they're up to. But there's a lot of talk about making comics more reasonable as a profession. So, yeah. Um, we're at 26 minutes here. Yes, we so are. Be aware. We're getting toward the end yes. of our list of stuff, so yes. I'm not concerned okay. about All that. Right. We're we're keeping it a good clip. Okay. Oops. Now I lost my story list. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Well. Uh. Well, speaking of numbers, uh, uh, Silver Sprocket decided that they would actually be a little transparent about their finances. Yeah. Nobody else seems. Excited about this, except for me on the platform of X. I'm excited. In this room, in this room, we're excited about mm-hmm. it. I just, it's not like, I don't know, like mo- a million people talking about it. Like if somebody just writes some like piece of smack talk about a book, you can get like <laughs> 4,000 retweets for it. But this is also like, yeah. who knows? X Twitter is like a mess right now. But just, I, I don't know, uh, to be a little uh, tangential here, I saw the film Dumb Money recently, which was about how, you know, this guy uh, on... YouTube kept showing his balance sheet to gin up, um, you know, the stock market. And like the whole thing was that he was transparent. It was so unusual to like just basically take a picture of like your, your actual bank balance sheet, which is what Silver Sprocket did and literally just put it up online exactly as their sales over time over the last 12 months, their store as well as a publisher. This is, I'm assuming, um, their gross sales from their store. Uh, I did read my note to ask. Um, but they essentially were like, sucks that sales are down. We did such great, there's so many great books. Please go buy books. Here's our balance sheet. And they just like listed it with the absolute, the actual amounts, absolute amounts. In 2022, they show almost 90,000. And then in 2023, they're showing around 70. So 69, 89 to 69. That's a 22% decrease um, across the year from 22 to 2023. This just a tweet out there. I kind of love the transparency. And I think it's, it's saying like, please. Well, we're so we're, desperate. We're desperate for numbers, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, the, I'll say Avi, uh, Ehrlich of Silver Sprocket. They have been on the podcast several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are plain spoken. Uh, they do not hold back. And, uh, Avi actually sent me a great list from the store because they have a beautiful retail store. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had their best sellers. It didn't have numbers, but it had the ranking of books that mm-hmm. sold in their store, which is pretty cool. So they, you know, good information needs to be out there to drive out the bad information. It's just gonna, it's bare. There's essentially saying, please go buy books. Here's our actual balance sheet just right from our hard drive. Like, yeah. Um, but they, but they did point out they were up. No, they're down. Oh, they're, they're down. down. They're down. That's oh. what the whole thing is about. It's literally oh. saying our numbers are 22% down in oh. 2023. Can you buy some books, please? Oh, I misread that entirely then. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. re- it's stealthy. Um, and it's just in the middle of a lot of positive tweets. Like they had a book that they, that they're really behind, The Chromatic Fantasy, which got a good review in PW. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of 2023 best graphic novels on the New York Public Library, a list we didn't talk about yet. Maybe we can do that next time. Um, and they're just having lots of good news. They they talked about what a great year they've had, all the great um as a as a publisher, all the great kind of press they've been getting for their books, and then they in the middle of it they put this balance sheet up right. for twenty two percent down in the store. Oh, well, all right, that's not great. 
That's definitely, yeah. But I appreciate it. I appreciate the transparency. Right. I appreciate the transparency. I'm also Actual numbers instead of just sort of vague. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something. All the the ups and downs. Something, something woke. Yeah. Something, something. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we said there's there's a bit of it out there. There's uh, definitely a rash of, it's uncertain times. Mm Mm-hmm. So... I think it's time for the briefs. Yes, it let's is. do it. And we've got some fun ones. Briefs and brief. So, Heidi, I believe you had one. Well, well, I mean, this is actually the biggest story of the week if you go by traffic and number of mentions. But um, one of the most iconic covers in comic book history is Frank Miller's cover for The Dark Knight Returns, issue one, in which we see the Batman leaping against the background of lightning. A uh, striking image, indeed, that has been echoed in not only film, animation, parodied, super well-known, but for years, most people have thought that Batman was leaping away from the viewer, with his cape streaming out behind him. And now, it was just pointed out on Twitter, apparently people have known this for a while, but in this, like, artist edition version of The Dark Knight Returns, there's his original cover sketch, and it shows that Batman is leaping towards the viewer, not away. And this blew people's minds. It's actually a really effective optical illusion. Like, there, you can put it side by side with an outline showing how Batman can be coming towards you and then going away from you, and they're both equally convincing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, the drawing's a bit exaggerated both ways, and perhaps Batman has a bit of a pigeon-toed problem, depending on which way he's going. But uh, this kind of blew people's minds. Yeah. In other good news related to classic comics, um, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman is back in production for season two uh, after the Hollywood strikes are over on the 35th anniversary of the original comic book series. Um, Neil Gaiman put out a letter on Wednesday announcing that the production has restarted for the Netflix series and has some behind-the-scenes pictures. Awesome. Should we talk about Tilly Walden getting yeah. named um, in Forbes 30 Under 30? And she was named in the art category. She's the only cartoonist in the art category. Um, I found this because Center for Cartoon Studies in Vermont uh, put it out on socials because they are proud that she's also the cartoon laureate um, in Vermont currently. Uh, so congrats to Tilly. And honestly, also congrats to Tilly for being the person on the 30 under 30 least likely <laughs> to have a major financial expose in the next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Heidi figured out that someone under the games, like Innovative Games, is uh, actually the co-writer of Squire. So there's some cartoonists hiding back in yeah. the wings. Yeah, Sarah Fagia, who was the artist on Young Squire, as you just said, was also listed. But she has like this whole video game cooperative like thing, lab yeah. going on. Wow. Yeah. She is a real doer. All over Forbes, people are secretly drawing books. Yeah. <laughs> but Tilly is the only, um, out, out front and center cartoonist. So I'm, I'm just really pleased for her. And also, presumably she has a new baby by now because she, yes. when she came to his book show, she was, she did, that was announced on social media. She is a significantly mother pregnant. Oh, yeah, so, so exciting. Good. Yeah. She could be in Mother Magazine now. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm looking for that. Of course, <laughs> please, Tilly Walden, honestly, 
<laughs> Imagine I'm just standing outside ready to take that baby so you can write something down. <laughs> Meg is scanning Instagram. She's got, it's like a police scanner. It's like a baby scanner. I just wait for them for to those. come to me. <laughs> waiting for the announcement. Waiting for the inevitable. Yeah. All right. Well. I think we're that just about wraps it up. Oh, do you want to talk about Marjan? Should we say real quick? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So the other, this actually came in quite, as you may know, you know, we published a long interview with Marjan Satrapi earlier this fall um, on the event of the 20th anniversary of Persepolis coming out in their big edition that Pantheon put out. And Marjan, who's like really fierce and bold talker, said that, you know, she's done with comics, never doing comics again. And as soon as we published that interview, Seven Stories Press wrote me, we're like, well, actually, we've been wanting to tell you that this spring we have an anthology. So there's, there's a whole new anthology at Seven Stories, which is a small radical publisher, um, is putting out. And they've done several comics and big, they like some other big books in the past. Um, edited by Marjan with a few drawings by Marjan in it, but they're not necessarily comics, but she's a huge cast of fancy European cartoonists, um, uh, attached to it, including, Cattell, uh, Coco de Lupi, all the French cartoonists have just one name. <laughs> it's like the whole thing. Paco Roca, who's actually Spanish, but is and publishing has, in Spanish. There's two names. Yeah. I really, really <laughs> like his work. He's fantastic. Like Yuan Safar, Louis Trondheim. It's a real like who's who of European yeah. cartoonists. And they're working with journalists in Iran. The book is called Women, Life, Freedom. It's published already in France, and it's going to be coming out simultaneously in the U.S. and U.K., and it's uh, being published to coincide with Nauru's The Iranian New Year. So it's a work about the feminist protests in Iran following the death of a woman who was killed by religious police um, for not wearing a headscarf properly, and it's a really major event that has rallied yeah. um, the populace. Does does this contradict what Marjane said in the PW profile where she said, I will never do comics again? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think she did. She said in the profile, I'm doing drawings. I'm doing oh. drawings. But I don't know if we wrote that down, but she said that in the tape. But she definitely said, I'm not doing comics again. She's, I think this for her is, uh, bringing together other mm, cartoonists. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Who knows? It doesn't. <laughs> Also, a lot of people say they're not doing something, and then the next thing you hear is they have a new book out. But <laughs> I, I did think it was quite funny because, literally, like the moment it went online, uh, Ruth at Seven Stories emailed me. We were we have a big piece about the release, um, you know, of their PR that this is coming up, and then it, as I said, it'll be up in March. It's coming quite soon. I'm really eager to see it. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen anything other than that list of names. So then the cover, which looks lovely, it which sounds, does look like Marjan drew it too. So sounds like a very worthy um, collection. Yeah, I mean anthologies can be tricky. So we'll see how it comes together. But I think the topic is really important, and I think that her name attached to it is going to bring yeah, serious awareness. Absolutely. So I think, and I think her mission is to do that, and she's doing that on so many different levels, which is what a lot of her interview was about, actually, about her commitment to activism in this area. So this is another um, arm of that, and that really coincides, or, you know, works well with Seven Stories, too. Yeah, totally. So, alright, I think, despite everything going wrong that could go wrong this week... <laughs> 
on almost. the podcast. Almost. Almost. Yeah, we, we, even, we didn't even talk together about and the building didn't burn down. Yeah. yeah, we didn't talk about how we were all locked out, you guys. Yeah, which was 100% my fault. And I uh, then, anyway, you, 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 you don't have, need that. You have Cluing no the listeners idea. You just, you just have no idea. So if they sounded a little ragged around the edges this week, just know that it was a triumph of the human spirit. At least we got in the building and <laughs> Heidi got some rice pudding. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I guess there will be more to come.